Good morning and welcome to Tech Talk. Yes, new show here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, jmintheam.org, and welcome. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, and we're going to have a very exciting hour of talk about technology, about business, about Israel. Probably put Israel first in the list of priorities because that's really the genesis of this show, was the idea of let's talk about Israel, excuse me, as a tech and business powerhouse, innovation powerhouse, really at the forefront of so much exciting out there, whether it be in communications technology, whether it be in energy, whether it be in mapping tools, optical, networking, all kinds of exciting innovation. And there's no question that the Israeli economy has evolved over the last couple of years into a real exporter of innovation and brain power. And that's manifested itself not just on companies that have gone public and listed themselves on NASDAQ, also in the fact that major tech giants like Intel and Microsoft and Apple and pretty much everybody out there is investing in research and development in Israel, but also the amount of venture capital dollars that have gone seeking out the next new thing, the next big thing in Israel. And I think it's really great that we can explore this intersection of not just not just Israeli tech companies, but really the entire environment and how innovation is changing the face of Israel. So I mentioned earlier this morning on uh, JM and the AM, talking about Nachum, in case you missed it, kind of the blueprint of this was the book Startup Nation from Dan Senor and Saul Singer, and Dan being a close friend for many years. We've had him on spin class, and hopefully we're going to have him again in the immediate future, here on this show. And they talk about the fact that Israel in 60 years has uh, really propelled itself, 60 plus years, has propelled itself into the forefront of the world economy. And there are more per capita venture capital dollars going into Israel and the Israeli tech and venture scene than there is anywhere else in the world which is really just incredible for a company that has uh, such a short tenure, such a short lifespan, and just to throw a little bit out there, was kind of founded on socialist principles, which uh, don't necessarily lend themselves to creativity and innovation. Israeli economy for many years has been kind of statist and controlled by controlled by the state. And there are many reasons why that was necessary, most of them having to do with the military, but that history is uh, particularly interesting. So we'll explore a little bit of that. But we're going to have a uh, really, really fantastic show coming up. Uh, we're going to talk to a couple different guests, not necessarily uh, yet, we're gonna, not on this show, we're going to highlight any companies, and that's what we hope to do uh, in the future. Uh, future shows kind of take uh, one or two companies each week, talk about them, talk about what they're doing, speak to their founders, and what their goals and aspirations and how they came about to creating the uh, creating what they've been creating. So uh, really an exciting idea. We're very much looking forward to having a great show. And coming up, we have uh, Jonathan Medved uh, going to be joining us, who is one of the 
early early stage investors. That means early on he became an early stage investor in Israeli technology company. And he uh and we're also gonna have uh Rafi Musher, who's the CEO of Stacks, which is a uh consulting management consulting, high end management consulting and strategy firm. Uh, based in uh, based in the U.S., but recently founded a l- little while ago a project called Israel and Company, which takes business graduate uh, business school graduate students and uh, brings them on trips to Israel, their study trips to Israel, uh, to see to get a to get a feel for the Israeli economy and the innovation out there and what they can learn from that, not just to see Israel from the prism of political conflict but see you see israel which you know people get so frequently in the new york times but they see israel from the prism of tech and innovation and all the great things that are going on in the israeli economy and uh, i think that's a very important project we're also going to speak to Lindsay green uh Lindsay is a tech communication specialist particularly with early stage companies uh she is with skd neckerbacher which is a firm that I've worked with a lot in the past uh, here, based here in New York, as well as Washington, D.C., and they, uh, she does a lot of representation of tech firms just to talk about the tech scene and early stage tech scene and how companies need to position themselves to succeed, and it seems when an environment that moves so fast, such as the innovation and uh, technology economy, uh, Silicon Alley, Silicon Valley, all and in, you know elsewhere, just moves so fast, faster than any of us can really uh, can really comprehend. Uh, she is going to kind of give us a couple, little bit of insight on how, what the next best thing and what goes on out there. So uh, just to start off, we're very thrilled to have uh, Jonathan Medved as our first guest on the show. I want to thank uh, Alana Weiner from the, uh, from the consulate here in New York City, as well as Shahar Azani, who have uh, helped us out and uh, certainly been supportive of the show to go ahead and arrange to have Jonathan join us. And Jonathan, as I mentioned, was an er- is uh, right now founded Our Crowd, which is a uh, which is a crowdsourcing um, platform for uh, for going ahead and funding companies. But he also has a very very extensive background in funding early stage companies in Israel and of course he is also uh, an expat so he knows both sides of the Atlantic at the same time so Jonathan welcome to Tech Talk thanks for being our original guest and I know uh, it's a a great honor this is lovely to be on Tech Talk thank you thank you Jonathan so uh, tell us a little bit for a second just about uh, our crowd and you know you're the CEO you've got an extensive history as both on the investment side and the entrepreneurship side and what does our crowd start try and do and are you doing it exclusively with Israeli companies so what we're trying to do is to open up the ability for the average investor here in New York or elsewhere around the world to actually place a significant investment in early stage Israeli companies despite the fact that people are in love with startup nation and keep on hearing all these great stories about ways being bought for a billion dollars the average investor doesn't know where to go doesn't have where to go because there are very few funds that are out there consisting of Israeli companies. There are a limited number of venture capital funds that typically require a fairly big check. Usually it's a million dollars plus. But people who want to get involved in picking the next ways, that's what we're doing at, at our crowd. 
We're basically selecting a, uh, a very, very high-quality group of companies, the way that I and my partners have done it for years as venture capitalists and angel investors. So far, we've funded actually 27 companies since the beginning of the year, raising over $22 million for these companies. But the difference here is you're not investing in a fund. You're building your own portfolio, choosing the own companies that you want to invest in. We're now benefiting from a change in uh, recent regulatory environment. The SEC is now allowing us to do uh, what's called public solicitation. So I can even talk to you now openly about one of the deals that's on the website today. Again, this website is www.rcrowd.com. And if you go to the website, it'll ask you if you want to accredit. You have to be an accredited investor, which in this country means you have to have a million dollars of net assets outside of your primary residence or have made $200,000 a year for the last two years with a reasonable expectation you're going to continue it again. That's middle class here in New York. Yeah, one would hope. <laughs> that barely covers day school, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't think that covers day school. but uh... <laughs> so, Another reason to come live in Israel. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> but in any event, um, if you are an accredited investor, then you can come to the site and then we can, you know, talk talkless, as it were. We can talk business about the various opportunities that we're making available. So uh, this week we are featuring a company called Webidoo, who basically are uh, a very, very exciting company enabling designers, professional website designers, to create fully functional websites with all the code from their design with a single push of the button. And this company um, was recently featured in Forbes magazine, has been signing up thousands of designers countrywide, and has very, very fast-growing revenues. Its revenues are actually growing at, you know, between 10 and 15% month-on-month, and is a pretty exciting little company. Um, So that's available to you now. We've done a whole slew of other companies already, such as Argo, who are the makers of Rewalk, which is the a uh, device that allows paraplegics to walk again. We invested just a couple months ago, and I think that company today announced publicly that Yasawa, the big Japanese robotic company, is taking a position there. We're investors in abesmarket.com, and your listeners, even if you're not investors, you should definitely go look at this site. abesmarket.com is the world's leading organic site online, and it's sort of like Amazon meets Whole Foods. And we're invested there alongside uh, a bunch of named venture partners, such as Excel Partners, the guys who back Facebook and Index, who are the guys who back Skype. And, you know, we allow individuals to come and take a position in a company like Abe's. Um, well, invest- what's the minimum investment for an individual? $10,000. $10,000. So that's a very low barrier to entry for for your average investor, or for your accredited investor, I should say. But but let, just give me an idea of the process that this uh, people are investing in an investment vehicle that you put together. That's or, correct. Okay, so you're so, so you're kind of arranging and and that investment and that comes in the form of something from our crowd. That's great. First of all, we're trying to make it frictionless. Trying to use the web to aggregate tens of thousands of investors worldwide, hooking them up directly to Startup Nation. So what we're doing on the front end is we're evaluating literally hundreds and even thousands of deals. We're seeing about 100 to 150 new deals every month. And then we select the two or three deals that we like that month. We bring them to the website. What that means is we put up on the website 
company presentations, material about the, the founders, projections, our own analysis of the opportunity. And then you get invited to a webinar where you actually get to listen and watch the company. We also organize events. So, for example, we have an event uh, uh, tomorrow here in New York with that company, Webidoo. Uh, we have uh, events in Boston later this week with Webidoo and in Los Angeles uh, at the end of the week. So you can actually meet face-to-face with these companies. And then, you know, you decide. Up, it's up to you if you want to, you know, join us. And by the way, we have our own money invested in each and every one of these deals. When you say we, just give me an idea. Who is we? The we is a, a partner group of about 25 people. I'm joined by a gentleman named Stephen Bloomgart, who is the chairman of the group, who came from Glencore. Um, Penny Lazowick, who is a very well-known investor in Israel, who was the first marketing director at Broadcom. Elon Zivitovsky, who was at Lehman and Goldman Brothers, runs our deal flow group. Uh, Evelyn Rubin, who comes from Jerusalem Venture Partners, and she's our head of business development. We have a you know, great group of people. Again, you can get information about them on our website who are managing this activity, who are selecting the deals, and then running this web business where basically we're maintaining contact with the, the large group of investors who've already signed up. We've got thousands who've already signed up on our crowd, and we have hundreds of people who are actually making investments. I mean, we've already, again, invested over $22 million in Israeli startups in uh, less than a year, and we're now becoming perhaps the most active investor in the Israeli startup scene. But what's cool about it is we don't have a fund, right? This is basically giving your listeners the ability to use their own discretion. I mean, we're obviously curating this and setting the table and picking what we think are a good group of companies, but you make the ultimate decision, starting from $10,000 all the way up to millions of dollars. We've already received a single million-dollar check for one of our companies. We hope that we get many more of those, obviously, going forward. But this is just very early stages of what I think is a, a, a very important new kind of investing, both for Israel and elsewhere. Who is going to be the one managing the investment going forward? Uh, the venture capital funds usually take a very active role, uh, board seat or, or two, um, in, in the companies, in their portfolio companies. Is, is that what the model you're looking for? Or you're, is that Absolutely. 25 group, group of 25 getting that, a... Getting the, the, a the reason we have such a big group is because there's a huge challenge here. Any intelligent investor knows that it's not just about picking the right company and, and giving them money, but unlike a public company, which is well-developed and already on its own, you need to get involved with these small businesses. So we do indeed take board seats. Not every venture deal you get a board seat. We, we're about 65% of our companies, we have a board seat. However, we're not always the ones who are sitting there. We have a team of mentors who are uh, entrepreneurs who have been successful in their own careers, who are sitting on our behalf on these boards and providing real value. We have a, a gentleman named Eli Campo who uh, uh, ran uh, Shopping.com in Israel. He's an expert in e-commerce. He's sitting on one of our companies called Easy Social Shop, who happens to be partnered with eBay, who have to buy you know, shopping. So Eli's on our, the board there. A guy named Ron Moritz, who was the chief security officer for Symantec, who's sitting on one of our security companies, Fireblades. We've got a great team of mentors. We're sitting on the boards. But what makes this so interesting is we're now offering our investors the ability as a, as a crowd to not just crowdfund these deals, but to crowd build the deals. And it turns out that investors, when they choose their own investment, 
they want to help. They want to get involved. So they say, you know, my cousin is actually at this company, and he can provide an introduction, or my son-in-law is graduating from MIT and looking for a job. And what's remarkable is how much input and assistance the companies are getting. I mean, we have around now, I won't mention it because it's not done, but it's about a $10 million uh, investment round coming together that resulted from a call from one of our investors to us saying, I know somebody who's got a fund, and this company would be perfect for them. And we went ahead and then uh, made that connection, and boom, this $10 million round is actually happening at a much higher valuation than we originally paid. So I'm not going to make that assumption that your due diligence process is done through Jewish geography. But, uh, <laughs> there, there could be a lot worse diligence, by the way. Understood. So give us, give us an idea of your due diligence process. And, and just as a segue, I'd like to talk for a second about Israel Seed, and which you founded way back when, and you probably, uh, it seems like many moons ago, vis-a-vis yeah. the Israeli tech scene. But you were one of the early guys out there, and I yeah. think that's why it's so, your perspective is so great. But, uh, Give me the difference, if there is any, if there is any daylight between your due diligence process as a venture capital fund and what you're doing now as a crowdsource. Because really, in the end, if it's non-committed capital, meaning what you're doing now, people, it's still up to them to do their own due diligence. Yeah, okay, well, yes and no. First of all, we're doing things much the way that we used to, but on steroids and a lot faster. And the big difference is that we, we just know that we need to provide a real stable of companies. And thank God in Israel, each year, there are about 600 different companies that are getting venture capital and angel financing. So we have a big corpus of companies to choose from. Our goal is to do something like 40 or 50 deals a year to bring to our, our members so they can you know, choose and build their own portfolio. Uh, this year, we'll you know, not quite make that number. We'll probably end up with 30 or 35 companies, but it's still a heck of an achievement over uh, the first year of the company. Yeah, re- remarkable. Um, but on the other hand, we're not trying to cut corners. We are using Jewish geography and other kinds of geography where we're taking advantage of the fact that we've been active, most of my, me and my partners, in the market for so long that we're investing in people we backed before. So I'm backing a great entrepreneur named Svi Schreiber, who's had three exits uh, in his new venture called Freight OS, which is doing essentially a kayak for freight forwarding. We're backing Bob Rosenshine, who's had two companies go public here in New York. One was called Accent Software, and one was called Answers.com. that came a top 20 website, and we're an early-stage investor there. We're backing uh, Jacob Nerdavid, who was active at Delta 3, and uh, Jeff Pulver, who's, you know, everybody knows Jeff, and in their new venture, Zula. So, we will take advantage of the fact that we know a lot of people who are good people, and that does make our diligence a lot easier. Um, on the other hand, we do the normal you know, routine that people have to do, which is you've got to call customers. We're not, we're not going so early as I used to go. We're going a little bit later. We're paying sometimes a little bit higher valuation, but to get more meat on the bones. We're looking for companies that actually have customers, companies that uh, you can actually call a customer and get feedback uh, we're looking for metrics, and we're doing that analysis. And then, you know, uh, we're also looking for syndicates. We almost never invest on our own. We're investing alongside venture funds such as Canaan Partners and Excel and Index and JVP and Carmel. So we're essentially offering to the individual investor the ability to play with the big boys, as it were, at the same term, same price, 
but they get to choose their own deals. And that, that just hasn't been done until now. Talk about Israel Seed for a second and you know where and how the Israeli tech scene has changed or matured over the last two decades that you've well, been involved. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it was, it's amazing. When you look back over the... You're like a grandfather of uh, yeah, Israeli well, companies at this point. Yeah, I am a grandfather. Okay. My, 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 father, my son and my uh, daughter-in-law produced triplets for me uh, about a year and a half ago, so I actually am now a grandfather. Okay. But... Well, that's instant, uh, instantaneous uh, grandfathership. Yeah, that's it. I mean, got skin in the game. Exactly. Um, the, the, the tech scene in Israel has just developed remarkably, and, in a, and I think in a wonderful way. I mean, there are all kinds of issues, and we can talk about that maybe on a you know, future phone call about what some of the challenges are in Israel. But the fact that we have really emerged as the world's second Silicon Valley, so many innovative companies and so many startups, and to think about what was around 20 years ago, and there just wasn't a lot. Uh, remember, Israel's first venture fund was established in 1986. It was Fred Adler and Ace Greenberg uh, got together to build Athena with some Israelis. And they lasted for six years as the only venture fund managing a whopping sum total of $26 million. You can imagine that. Israel, for six years, had $26 million of available capital in venture. Incredible. And, and then 19, the early 1990s, they had the Yozma program that came about, and we got Israel Seed started just at the tail end of that process in 94. And we started my first fund with $2 million in the, my garage. We grew it ultimately to about $260 million of capital from a lot of large institutions. We made 60 investments. We had some real good successes. Our best probably was Shopping.com, which we sold for $640 million to eBay. Um, and it was uh, incredible to watch the maturity of that you know, whole ecosystem. We went up into the bubble and down after the bubble. Uh, we learned how to survive and how to keep companies alive. And shopping itself was a company like that that had some very, very challenging moments uh, you know, as it crossed that uh, 2000 sort of apex and uh, trough that followed. But, you, you know, you learned a lot about how this is not just about up and to the right, that there are down rounds and there are companies that need to, you know, unfortunately fire people in Israel. That's the most horrible thing in the world is, you know, part of what we're doing here is essentially uh, what Rambam calls the highest form of tzedakah, the highest form of charity, which is to give somebody a job. And in Israel, there's nothing worse than having to, you know, contract a growing company because you have to survive, but you have to do it in order to save the jobs that are saveable. And uh, uh, I've just been lucky to have been part of this and to work with, you know, incredible people. I mean, being an investor in this kind of tech stuff is basically sitting around and letting people tell you their dreams and being a, a part enabler of these dreams. There's nothing better than that. And it's just been, a, I feel very blessed to have been, you know, participant and, uh, uh, in Israel over the last two decades doing this stuff. You've also been uh, a CEO at the I same time. Indeed. Okay, so give us uh, that perspective of being a CEO of a growing Israeli uh, startup company and having to be out there trying to raise capital and grow a business uh, in Israel. So, and that perspective of the entrepreneurs who are trying to break out. Well, I mean, being an investor, you, people often want to take credit for the successes, but re reality is that you're a, a, you know, an important part of the process, but you're not the one who determines the future, right? It's really about the team and the uh, CEO and the, uh, 
the company itself, right? In other words, as an investor, you can be active, you can be helpful, you can be smart, you can introduce them to you know, future runs of funding, you can invest, introduce them to partners, you can bring key hires to Blade. I, mean, I don't want to you know, minimize the role of uh, smart money, but it's a big difference than uh, being uh, the actual CEO. I'm sure your listeners all know the joke between the uh, chicken and the, and the pig in most American non-kosher breakfast. The, you know, the chicken's involved in almost every breakfast. The pig is totally committed. Um, <laughs> and, you know, to be a CEO means that there really is, you know, you can't, like, pass the blame along, right? You've got to have enough money to make your payroll you're responsible for hitting your numbers. You're responsible for finding that next round of funding. Ultimately, you're responsible for getting the company to an exit and making a return for your investors. And it's an incredible um, challenge. What's, what's amazing about Israel now is how many of these guys and gals are serial entrepreneurs, people who've done this so many times in the past. There are literally thousands of them because there have been now in the last – 20 years, about 1,500 exits out of Israel. So you figure that around that table, there have been you know, two or three or four people who can claim the title of entrepreneur or key you know, person. And so there's really thousands of these people now who've been there and done that. And that makes the job today as an investor a lot easier because while there's no you know, guarantee that these people are going to hit the ball out of the park you know, in the second or third outing, it's a lot better to you know, back people who've been there and done that successfully than people who've never tried before. We're talking with Jonathan Medved, CEO, founder and CEO of Our Crowd, which is a crowdfunding platform for Israeli uh, investors. That if you want to get into the ground floor at uh, some exciting Israeli technology investments, uh, Our Crowd is a place to be. Uh, give us uh, an idea of your roadshow here and how often are you bringing companies to the States um, and I think that you know that would be great if you know get some of them on at future shows. We would uh, to love to introduce them. Uh, you know, just give us an idea about what somebody needs to do to show up. Is this like buying an apartment in Israel type of thing, or or it's really more for the seriously minded? It's you know it's not window shopping. People really gotta get they really gotta roll up their sleeves to understand that this is a you know this is a serious type of investment. Look, we're looking for serious investors, but now the, the in the uh post uh last couple of week changes in the SEC regulations, literally anybody can come to our road shows. Um we are allowed now to, you know, uh essentially present the companies to a wider audience. So even if you are not yourself a uh potential investor, you're able to come and, and listen to the companies. Um, we don't encourage it. We'd like investors only to come. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, we, we are bringing companies now through here typically a couple times a month. And so if you go to www.rcrowd.com, you sign up, you'll get informed of these roadshows. They're happening at uh, law firms or at uh, investment banks. We're having a lot of events. Uh, myself and our team are, are very active in terms of speaking. We're, we're trying to build a community. Because really what we want to do is hook up tens of thousands of potential investors with Israel. This is something that has not yet been done on an individual basis. There have been wonderful vehicles, you know, such as APAC for politics or the Federation for charity or, you know, you name it, your university. And uh, Israel Bonds is playing, you know, a great role. But now we're building a structure 
that allows the individual who wants to play a role in building the next generation of Israel's startup nation uh, and the companies to actually play a role and start with as little as $10,000. Well, it's amazing. I'm sure that Israel is kind of has is hot, right? I mean, there's no question that you find that out there, that Israel's hot. So. Absolutely. And, and for good reason, because the rest of the world is sort of, you know, depressed, and not necessarily in an economic sense, but in a mental sense. They just don't believe in the future. And if you look at what's going on in Israel today as a society, the fact that our birth rate is so high, it's now over three kids per woman, okay, that the uh, economy continues to grow at it's three and four and five percent year on year, okay, which is an envy of the world. That foreign investment is up, that foreign trade is up, even with countries that don't necessarily seem to be our political friends. Our, our, our trade, by the way, with Turkey is just hitting all time new highs. You know, they might not like us politically, but they certainly like to do business with us. Really amazing. Well, Jonathan Medved, CEO of Our Crowd, and has a long list of accomplishments behind him. I really appreciate you joining us here on Tech Talk. And uh, it seems like something that we could definitely have uh, in the future. You, certainly we can continue our conversation because uh, there's so much more to talk about. Love to have some of the companies on uh, in the future. This looking exactly, forward to making it happen. Yes, yeah, exactly the kind of thing that we're looking to highlight on this show and uh, bring uh, some of the best and the brightest uh, going on in Israel to talk about that here uh, here in New York on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thanks for joining us, Jonathan. All the best. Bye-bye. This is Tech Talk, and we are going to join now by our next guest, Rafi Musher, who is the CEO of Stacks, which is a management uh, consulting firm, as well as the Stacks development uh, company, and also the founder of a very interesting organization called Israel and Company. Uh, Rafi, thanks for joining us here on Tech Talk. Thanks for having me, Michael. So, Rafi, I don't know if you caught the end of uh, Jonathan Medved's discussion uh, with us, and Jonathan, you know, I, I kind of is described him as a grandfather of the Israeli tech scene because he's been involved in, for so long in, in funding companies. Uh, but uh, what I said to him at the end is that Israel's hot. I mean, there's no question that Israel and the Israeli tech companies are hot out there. Is that, uh, from your experience, is that what you're, you know, what you're seeing out there? I think certainly the uh, the tech scene in Israel is, is hot. And uh, uh, I've done a lot of research in the past about uh, how much America has benefited from Israeli technology and how many jobs are created thanks to Israeli technology bought by U.S. companies or how many companies in Israel bought by U.S. companies uh, for their, their technology, for their R&D. <clears throat> and also um, there's some research that we'll release in the next couple of months shows, for instance, how many companies – the first work was in Massachusetts. Research we did in New Jersey shows how many major corporations in the New Jersey area actually have R&D centers in Israel and – not necessarily just from New Jersey, obviously, like Intel has its most productive plant in the world by 2X is in Israel. Apple, Microsoft, Yahoo, GM, they all have innovation centers in Israel. So there's certainly a lot going on there. Um, something different than what we're doing with, with Israel and company is uh, it's a nonprofit, and we're actually bringing people to Israel or helping people who have interest in Israel's core com uh, competencies current leaders and future leaders, helping them come to Israel to learn about innovation and entrepreneurship and a lot of the technology uh, and way of thinking that is invaluable to the rest of the world, to the United States and, and globally. Um, I mean, I think in, in a, even getting specific about technology, it's not just uh, processing speed and uh, 
and communication software, which are people are pretty aware of, but obviously, uh, well, I'm not sure if it's so obvious, but agriculture is a pretty uh, key core competence there. Water technology, a core competence. Cybersecurity, core competence. A lot of those things have interest to uh, to the world at large. If you want, I can tell you a little bit more about the specifics of Israel and Co. Absolutely, I, I'd love to know, you know, what how that came about. You know, what prompted you to found it, and how's it been going so far? You know, what who's been participating? What kind of people? What kind of experience are you giving? And you know, just give us the uh, give us the rundown. Sure, I think the uh, so in my day job, I see a lot of um, my day job is advising corporations on their business strategy and uh, private equity firms on investing in large companies, I always say mid-sized companies, companies that are anyway from $300 million in sales to probably to $5, 10000000000 billion in sales, and uh, definitely see an opportunity for more innovation and entrepreneurship. And um, when, the way it came about was actually through some work at the Milken Institute. They were talking about uh, different economic development in Israel. Um, and at the same time, I know about what we're trying to teach students in school here. And I thought, you know, here's a great, we call it a matching trade. Um, Israel has all this innovation and entrepreneurship uh, in higher education here. We're trying to teach people more. And I know a little bit about um, educational, experiential education, meaning you don't just learn it in the classroom. You go out and see it and do it. And so uh, I was talking with, uh, with the economic advisor, the prime minister. I said, you know, I thought it would be interesting to bring lots of MBA students and lots of CEOs and lots of business leaders over to Israel to learn about innovation and entrepreneurship. And in doing so, there'd be a lot of um, mutually beneficial outcomes. And as an ex- we're only about two and a half years old. In this past year, uh, we, and we're foc- we started to first focus on business schools because they all, or most of them, travel. Uh, they go to different countries to learn about doing business in those countries. And we tapped into that that trend. And this year, we helped create 11 new business school delegations and assist another 15. It was about 870 students and professors who went to Israel. Most of them are not Jewish, probably 80% not Jewish. Uh, They pay their own way. Uh, We're tapping into So kind of not like birthright. Everybody's paying their own way. Yeah, it's it's not like birthright. And it's not focused on Jews. It's focused on mutually beneficial interests. It's our, our, our Venn diagram is uh, leaders and future leaders. Uh, they have a financial capacity to pay or they aggregate so we can actually help them out. Um, and they have interest in one of Israel's core competencies. And I do a lot of work with different philanthropies, and you know, we, we looked at things and said, how could we be hyper-productive? Um, and I think, you know, we, we take, like next month we'll be taking 20 prof- 25 professors from leading U.S. MBA programs and from global programs. And they really want to learn about Israel, and they really want to learn about innovation and entrepreneurship. And, you know, it's one of those things that no one no one ever came back from, from one of our trips and said that they did me a favor by going to Israel. Which, um, and by the way, the folks at Birthright have been very helpful to us. It's just a very different different thing we're doing. And the kind of program that we offer is we really we go in and we help schools and the schools that we're working with are leading institutions Duke, Tuck, Berkeley, uh, Carnegie Mellon, Cornell, Columbia. I mean, you, you name it. Um, we're focused on top schools. Um, is this the what what is, is this the 
first time that many of these students have ever been to Israel? Yeah, we have, I don't think it's the, it may be the 80s percent, uh, at least, are first-timers. The way it works is that we are either helping the university create a, a four-credit curriculum program or we're helping students organize a program themselves. A lot of times the students who are organizing the program have an Israeli student, uh, two or three, as lead organizer, but not always. And so, by definition, if you've got Israelis on it, they've, they've been. But it's the far, you know, it's, it's certainly less than a quarter, maybe less than 20. Wow. So, the, so they're getting their first experience with Israel and many things they, you know, many of those preconceptions that they had are probably, are probably shattered very quickly when they get to, when, when they get on one of your trips. Oh, yeah. Uh, people's, they all, it's not just students. I mean, you think you'd be very surprised when you bring professors and you interview them and they say, gee, I thought this was a war zone from what I've seen on TV, from prominent universities. In fact, a lot of times we find that the people's biggest hesitation is safety and security, and a lot of times schools don't want to have a trip. And this, is, this goes with plenty of, of Jews as well. A lot of folks I know who are afraid to go to Israel until they have a business reason to go. And then they go and their eyes are just so opened, and they go, this is amazing, I can't believe it. And they say, I want to come back with my family, and they come back again and again and again, and it's amazing. And it's simply by showing people all the good things that are there, like, oh, yeah, and making it easy for them to go. Sure. Now, what, what's their typical itinerary for? What are you showing them? Are you getting uh, firsthand accounts? you go visit individual companies? Is it government-based, or is it more just typical touring-based? What, what, what are the highlights of, a, of this type of tour to, uh, to Israel? It's usually a mix of a uh, third business, a third culture, a third fun. And people learn more when they get to do a lot of different things. And um, and one, one of the many great uh, attributes of Israelis is that they're open. And sometimes people say they're a little too open. But you've got tremendous access to executives who are willing to tell you what's working, what's not working in their businesses. So they get firsthand accounts. They're not necessarily talking to the PR person for a company. Um, and we'll take them to places like GM, Yahoo, Google, Intel. Uh, we'll take them to see a lot of startups, smaller companies. We'll tell them, take them to see people making pretty fascinating medical devices, like a guy who's got the um, – he's actually a quadriplegic who invented uh, basically stilts that will help you walk if you can't. Even though they don't work for him, he's invented this. Um, you know, so there's a variety, some of them, you know, social ventures, if you will. And then there's a lot of the usual, I want to see this interesting tourist stuff, and, I, you know, people want to go see the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. They want to go to the Old City. They want to go out and see the Tel Aviv nightlife. They want to go hang out on the beach. Sure. You know, and a lot of them have found all kinds of meetings that we've never, you know, we'd never thought of. Uh, we've had groups of delegations meet with the president. We've done that several times where you get five delegations together and they meet with the president. Uh, and obviously that's a pretty thrilling time, too. Do you go out and, and look for specific companies, specific areas based around, let's say, study interests of the groups? Are they tailored to uh, to a specific industry vertical, or are you it's, – it's more a generalist approach? Um, and are, are there is – it, is it done that way, or it's just kind of a survey 
of the country. And you know, how, how do you present? Give, give us an idea about how you're presenting Israel and how you're presenting the trip to to the uh, to the attendees. Uh, also, good questions. Well, we present it as an opportunity to learn about innovation and entrepreneurship, uh, and we show what lots of different groups have done. But a lot of it's pretty organic. We'll say, oh, here's examples of the kinds of companies you can visit. And we have some folks who say, some schools say, I'd really like to, to spend more time with some government people. Others say, I really want to, I want to see more of the big companies. Like, I want to see what Dell is doing, a Dell or a Microsoft or a GM is doing. And other people say, I really want to see just startups. And I want to go to IDC Elevator or I want to go to, to Technion or I want to see university. So it, it runs the range. And we're here to help facilitate that. They, well, we try to do, or they want to go to Jerusalem Venture Partners, they want to go see Battery Ventures, or they want to go see Apex Partners, any one of the, the larger or smaller uh, or more niche-focused uh, venture capital firms in their portfolio companies. But the way we present it is that uh, there are a lot of different things you can learn, and our curricula is, is, and the materials is growing. And actually we have people, we now have professors who are coming back and writing case studies or introducing it into and creating curricula that are focused around Israel, around um, how entrepreneurs there think differently. Uh, and we also we have a, uh, I can tell you a little bit about it, uh, you know, how we present it when we go out and give lectures at campuses. That's amazing. I, we're talking with Rafi Musher, the CEO of Stacks, as well as a found, the founder of the Israel, Israel and Company. And just uh, as we kind of go through the experiential part or talk about the experiential part of, of these trips, do you see an increased, I, I don't know, it might be too young to have that kind of feedback, but do you see on the part of the attendees uh, there any kind of lasting business connection? Are they you know, they're more likely to go ahead and want to invest or want to work in Israel, work with Israeli companies? Or is there also some kind of relationship developed between the Israeli companies and some of these future bankers, consultants, corporate leaders out there? Although think, we, we might be too early for any of that type of feedback. Well, we we survey uh, respondents pre and post, and uh, a usual business term is net promoter score. We have excellent net promoter scores. Oh, so give a, give us give the audience an idea about what a net promoter score is. So net promoter score is what you do to measure uh, how how good your word of mouth is from your customers, how much they like your business and how much they're willing to promote it to their friends. And what you do is you, you survey them and you ask them on a scale of 1 to 10 how much you're willing to promote something, and everybody who's a very high promoter is a positive score, everybody who's a low promoter is a negative, and then in the middle you just don't, you count it as neutral. And our net promoter scores are great. And people say that their understanding of Israelis is, is doubled and they see very similar and they like the entrepreneurial spirit and they get them and understand them more. And absolutely, we think there's a great benefit and, and a lot of them have connections. We also have started consulting projects in which we help a lot of those universities want to go. Everyone wants some experience for their resume and to learn. So they're looking for consulting projects. Um, our first year, I think last year we had seven. This year we're hoping to multiply that pretty significantly. But we're essentially setting up U.S student case teams to work with Israeli companies, whether it be mature companies, startups, or even government programs. And what's great is you develop these long-term connections, and over time, the idea is that 
Israeli companies now have a lot more friends in a lot of different places so they can do business together. A lot of students here have friends in, in Israel whom they can reach out to. And I think it's, it ends up being very good for Israeli business. But I can tell you where it's, where it's really good for American business and for other global businesses that, you know, the students come back uh, and they're a bit more inspired and af- across a few areas that are incredibly valuable for the United States. They understand that it's valuable to think about big projects and not just another, should I call it a dot-com. It's important to think about big, gnarly issues and how do you solve for those things. And they understand that uh, they need to have some kind of level of informality and call things like they see them so that they can actually help companies change at a certain pace. And That flat structure that many Israeli firms are known for, um, kind of that they take out of the army structure, I guess, in Sahal, it's, it's that, that flat leadership structure. Yeah, it's a few things of, um, you know, that, it, that Israelis have is, yes, they have that, that flat structure. And chutzpah. Yeah, I, the chutzpah, I think, is also, you know, on the flip side, I, uh, um, uh, I think it's a, re- a requirement sometimes to say what's going on. You know, uh, you see a lot of businesses that are big businesses, in which it's pretty obvious that there are a lot of startups coming in and starting to eat their lunch or chip away at their earnings and things that aren't really happening. And uh, it's appropriate for somebody to speak up. And you see a lot of companies where the 30-year-old on the team or the 25-year-old really knows something that the company should be doing and isn't. And this is something that we need to, we need to change in our business culture here because otherwise you see a lot of value being destroyed and you need to you need to engage folks and give them an example of where is it different for them to understand, like, hey, I could come back and say, hey, I could do this too. Right. And also as a leader to come back and say, you know what, um, if I'm not listening to the people who are you know, on the street making something happen or the younger folks who are going to tell me something, if I've created so many barriers of formality before they can get to me, I'm, I'm going to lose a big chunk of my business. I'm going to see value destroyed. Right. And I'm going to end up, you know, laying off people, disappointing my shareholders, all kinds of things. And so, it's really a, uh, it's a, it's a tremendous experience. Okay, Rafi Musher, CEO of Stacks, founder of Israel and Company. And Rafi, we thank you for coming on to Tech Talk. I want to invite you on to continue the discussion at a later date. Okay, thanks, Michael. Thank you, Rafi. Uh, this is Tech Talk, and uh, ZK has given me the eye that I neglected earlier to say that we are sponsored by Adorama, Adorama.com. And uh, please go out and visit uh, Adorama, one of the premier camera and electronics stores here in, based here in New York City, but you can access them anywhere, just like you can access the Nachum Siegel Network anywhere at NachumSiegel.com and Adorama.com. And I want to welcome to Tech Talk uh, Lindsey Green who is uh, known as the publicist to the New York City startup scene and who is now at SKD Knickerbocker. Some might say she's now a corporate sellout, but I won't say that at all. Lindsay, welcome to Tech Talk. Thank you. So, Lindsay, uh, you have worked with a lot of startup companies, and this is our inaugural show, so we're talking about the startup scene in Israel, most specifically. Which is really hot right now, by the way. Exactly. So uh, we just uh, interviewed Jonathan Medved earlier, who's the CEO of R-Crowd, which is a crowdsourcing platform for Mm -hmm. investors to go ahead and get access to the tech scene. But what I wanted to talk about with you as somebody who's helped small companies grow is – 
it seems that the window of opportunity these days is so short, right? I mean, you have just a, a small amount of opportunity to kind of you know, ride a wave. Right. And uh, how, how do you do that effectively? Well, I think it, I think it depends on the company too. I mean, you you do have a short window in some sense. Um, if you're jumping on a trend or you're getting a part of you're being a part of something that's sort of on the rise. Um, but we're actually what I'm seeing is is it's sort of expanding outwards too a little bit, right? So. We're having more people who have domain expertise in certain areas, whether it's retail or, you know, construction. They're starting startups now. So we have a couple different, there's a couple different routes these companies can go. They can kind of jump on a trend. They can build hot new technology. And for that, I think you have a shorter window. For that, I think you have to make the most of your launch. You know, your, your launch day becomes very important. Um, and then for the other companies that are more of a, a slow build or a, you know, a domain expertise type company, I think they have a little bit more of a grace period, a little bit longer time that they can build and, and show their proof of concept. Where where do you see uh, the Israeli tech scene? You know, go from your perspective. You talk about we talk about Israel being hot. Everybody on the sh- everybody we've had so far on the show. That's all three guests. Right. It's unanimous so far that the Israeli tech scene is is hot. Uh, a lot of Israeli tech companies are now in New York. I'm yeah. sure you 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 run across them not just here for raising money, but they're actually locating a headquartering in New York, even if they're leaving their development teams in Israel. And where do you see that coming from, you know, based on entrepreneurs that you've worked with in the past? Why is the, why are Israelis really successful at building, uh, startup companies? Well, I think they're really successful because, and here's what, here's what sort of happened. I mean, a couple of years ago, Israel popped up as the place where we got our technology. It was all development. It was the, the, the fastest, most efficient, really strong, well-designed technology. Um, and there, you know, it was an alternative to going to India or China or even like San Francisco in some ways. They had incredibly strong developers, people who had a really good grasp of how to build smart technology. Um, and that's where they built this from. And then as it happens many times, these developers start to then found their own companies. And so it becomes much more forward-facing. They, you know, develop their own startups with their own identities, and they're no longer just building tech for other people. So that's sort of where it's coming from. They had a, you know, a unique understanding of how to build smart technology. And then as their companies became successful on the development side, they then broke off and started doing their own startups. And I see so much of that now when I meet with, you know, Israeli founders or people who have been on those teams they always say, well, we were develop- developing technology for other people, and then we had this idea, and we developed it ourselves. Amazing. What, what did, talk to us about the elements for success for going ahead and, and, and surviving the startup. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's no recipe. But, from, but, <laughs> but when you meet with companies, and you're involved with early stage, right, so people who are just kind of yeah. just getting started, helping them get a foothold in the marketplace, if you will, right, what do you tell them? Is is they got to do? How do they to execute and uh, to you know get gain some you know I hate to use old buzzwords but you know gain some mind share because it's pretty crowded out there, right? You know the most important thing they have to do is they have to have a great product. They just have to have a great product. I mean, you know, and I I do PR and PR simply is not a miracle worker, right? I can't create a great product out of you know thin air. So the most important thing they have to have a good strong idea. They have to have a really strong brand identity good messaging, and they have to have a, just a great product on their hands. Um, and that's the foundation that you need for success. Um, a lot of people have put a lot of emphasis into fundraising, and they've sort of used that as, you know, a marker of early success. 
I actually do not use fundraising as a marker of early success because I think a lot of people can get funded for different reasons. I tend to look at the product itself, how strong is the message, how well do they understand their audience, um, and what is the foundation we're working off. And I, I think that a great product is, is all you need. Um, and if you're doing something unique and interesting, then you know, you're going to be pretty solid. But how do people find out about you? They find out about you and you get some PR. So they find out about you really, you know, if you're doing something that is a strong product um, and fits in, whether it, whether it's a crowded space or not, if you have a strong product that's easy and smart to use, intuitive, you know, whatever it is that you're going for, um, and you get that into the hands of a journalist or someone with influence in the space, the word is going to spread. And I still think that word of mouth is the best PR you can ever have. And so what I try and do is get, you know, strong placements, um, on you know good websites, good publications that are industry and consumer specific, and let the word spread from there. You know, instead of getting ten tiny mentions over you know small blogs, we try and go for the big guys. Let's get a really in-depth piece on TechCrunch or somewhere like that, and and give people the opportunity to actually share that with their network and share that with their with their social network. Well, how much do these publications become gatekeepers then about what, which are the successful companies? I mean, how much is it just about buzz that, as opposed to just talking about having solid product management? Or, or is that what creates buzz? It depends. There's some companies that you see, they're just buzz machines, and that's what carries them for a long time. I actually think on the tech side, on the tech journalism side, these writers are really smart, um, and they know what's good and what isn't good, and they tend to find companies that they're really into and write about them a lot, and that usually is a good sign. Sometimes they're writing about companies just because they are buzzy or it's newsworthy or it's, you know, it's something to put up. Um, but I actually think at the end of the day, if you don't have a good product, you're not going to succeed. It doesn't matter how much buzz you get. Um, you, know, you can look at a company that a couple years ago was called Color. I mean, they were written about everywhere, but they didn't succeed. Um, Sonar is another example, written about everywhere, but they didn't succeed. Um, and they had flaws in the product. And I think that, you know, buzz is great if you're getting buzz for the right reasons. So, so there's a large cemetery out there of failed buzz. Oh, yeah. Uh, broken dreams. Of, bro- <laughs> <laughs> of broken dreams. Now, when we talk about Israel being hot again, just to go back, what are the sectors that Israel is really excelling in? You know, at first, I, I saw a lot of companies coming out on the gaming side, um, which was really interesting because that's a really tech-heavy space and really natural for developers to go into. So I saw a lot on the gaming side, and now I'm actually seeing a lot more just in general consumer, um, whether it's you know retail. I saw hospitality, hospitality companies, coming, companies coming out of there. Um, so it's really expanded quite a bit. It's a, it's a large range, and it's, I don't think there's one specific niche. But now I'm seeing a lot of, like, consumer-facing startups coming out of Israel. Very, very interesting. Now, when you go ahead and, and engage a client, for example, you, you come mm-hmm. and you say, okay, you know, this is what we have to do. This is what you got to do to get noticed. Uh, is that pre- fundraising i mean are they are they pre-vc at that point do they have like a major backer or there are companies out there looking to get uh, pr even before that i mean which i i guess chicken or the egg which comes first right it's a case-by-case basis you know when you have um founders who have started a company before well, they have a track record of success maybe they had a small startup that they sold to you know another company or to a google or somewhere and now they're doing their next project those founders tend to come in with backing or um, 
interested VCs already who are pretty much saying we're going to put the money down once you have the product. Um, and I think it's much easier for you to get funded if you have a track record of success and you've already had a company under your belt. And then I have other clients who this is their first time going out, and actually this press that they need to get is vital for them in raising their seed round or their Series A. Um, so you have a little bit of both there. And for the clients who are who are looking to raise money with their first round of PR, it's much more important for them to hit the industry-specific press, you know, where the VCs are reading every day. And with those who actually have backing built in, it's a little bit easier for them to then say, okay, we're just going to go after where our users are and we're going to target our users specifically. We're talking with Lindsey Green from SKD Knickerbocker, uh, who is a tech PR guru. And, uh, Lindsey, just to kind of clarify what is what is it that you 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 do? What is the you know just <laughs> my get, parents ask me that every day. Okay, so, <laughs> so well, let's just you know, give us an idea about what you know. How do you where do you feel you add you know that that you add the most to the company? I mean, what what you know are you? There's a lot of strategy involved in you know yeah. communications as well, and so I guess it, you know what level are you are you working? Where, it's not just about, it's most... not just about posting press releases, correct? No, and I don't post press releases. Okay, so yeah, well, I, don't, I don't allow my clients to do that. Well, I'm <laughs> um, I'm glad I asked the question. <laughs> where, where we help them really find their uh, you know we help them with their message, we help them define who they are, and we really help them find their place in their specific market. You know that's the most important thing, and I think that we also help them make the connections that are going to be value to the, valuable to them down the road, whether it's to the right influencers in their space or just connecting one-on-one with a journalist they should know, whether or not that that person's going to write a piece right away. We want to make sure they're a part of the community. So our value add is really saying we want to get you a part of the conversation. We're going to start here, and we're going to develop a strategy that's going to get you from point A to point B in a smart way. Absolutely. It is more about just getting – press mentions it's actually about the whole working behind how those mentions come to be and quality not quantity absolutely that's i mean that's what we believe and i think there's there's many ways to do press many different ways to do press but we really want to get those quality pieces we want to make those quality connections for our clients okay Lindsay green from skd knickerbocker thanks for joining us on the inaugural episode of tech talk and we'll have you again uh in the very near future and this has uh, been our first episode. Thank, thank you for joining us, everyone. And just uh, a programming note, tomorrow at 9 a.m., following JM in the AM, is the OU's Jewish Reaction, hosted by Ellie Hagler. And it's new time slot, followed by a brand-new show for Season 2, By the Book, hosted by Nachum Siegel, and brought to you by Cohen Publishers, where Nachum will talk to a different featured author each week. And that's at 10 a.m., only on the stream, nachumsiegel.com, jmandam.org.